0: What is up? What is up, everybody? Welcome to Opening Set Podcast. This is your man, King Most. My man, John Reyes, riding along as the show producer. Follow us on all social media under Opening Set Podcast. That means Instagram, SoundCloud, Mixcloud. And lastly, if you want to shoot us a message or an email, hit us up at OpeningSetPodcast at gmail.com. And today's very, very special guest is my main man, DJ Neil Armstrong, a Queens native. He's a battle tested turntablist, a mixtape maestro, food entrepreneur. Tory D.J. from one of the biggest pop stars ever, I'm talking about Jay-Z, and a brand ambassador for Adidas before such a thing even existed. We hear how he met President Beyoncé, he gives out some financial perspective, and how he really is the Forrest Gump of underground New York City subculture from the late 90s into the early 2000s. He even shares his story, how he influenced Jay-Z's seminal Black album.
1: We go into the Staple and Jeff's like, yo, Ashley Nichols, this guy Ashley, he works with Jay and, and Dame. Yo, Jay heard your mix. And according to Jeff, Jay heard my mix and you know how I use the dialogue. He used that to make the Black Album. He said, I want the Black Album to sound like this. Now, the Black Album, if you listen to the beginning of What More Can I Say, he uses the dialogue from Gladiators, like things like that. So they tell me, and you know, we just laughing. I'm just like, whatever. Fast forward a couple years later, I'm working with Jay.
0: You know, I think talking to Neil, I just believe that some people just happen to be at the right place at the right time and just really get to experience a lot of awesome things. I think hearing stories about Jay-Z and how he connects with Jeff Staple to Adidas, to making mixtapes, to traveling, just really fell in his lap, but he also is somebody that earned it and appreciates it and has a really interesting and I guess a very practical sense of the future. And that was a big takeaway with this conversation. To stay connected with Neil, you can find him on Instagram under DJ Neil Armstrong or on his website, DJNeilArmstrong.com. And with this conversation, we could have easily done a part two, maybe a part three. So sit back and enjoy Opening Set. All right, check one, two. How are we doing, everybody? This is Opening Set, a podcast with your buddy here, King Most. And today's very, very special guest, longtime friend. We we're just saying over <laughs> 10 years.
1: Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. I would say at least since 2005. Damn. Okay, that voice is DJ
0: Neil <laughs> Armstrong.
1: What's going on, y'all? From
0: Queens. Yeah, Okay. Queens, New York. Me and John, our producer, said, I thought you're from Jersey. And that's not, that's no. Vin,
1: I guess <laughs> Vin technically is from Jersey. I always get this a little confused. Vin grew up in Jersey. Okay. For sure. I think at one point he told me he actually used to live out here. Yeah, he did. And then he moved to Jersey. Okay. And then he moved back. When we became like the fifth platoon, that's when he moved back here. But I'm born and raised in New York, but I currently live in Jersey.
0: Oh, okay, that's very so.
1: much like a lot of people have to leave the city and live, you know, What's wherever. The, the or whatever. <laughs> yeah,
0: is that because gentrification basically rents go up and you have uh, to leave, or
1: being from there, you know, like and and that's a funny kind of misconception about think New York, the people who come out there, like I'm from the suburbs, like where I live in Queens. I had a lawn to mow and that's great, man. And uh, birds yeah. and I didn't live in like the urban area. I had a house, you know, my parents bought a house when they first came over in the 60s. So I was used to a lot of space. You know, a lot of people who moved to New York, they have like three roommates and that type of thing. I can't do that. <laughs> Shoot, I remember being in like the 2000s, like a 250 square foot condo could go for like $250,000.
0: Damn.
1: Yeah, like that. I'm not trying to do that, you Yeah. Know? And I'm not trying to have three, four roommates. Yeah. So if you move to Jersey City, which is literally right across the water, not even like super far, like technically like, you know, going over the Bay Bridge. Like yeah. <laughs> if you could swim across, you know, that would take you like 20 minutes. They should build a pedestrian bridge. But yeah, so living in Jersey City where I'm at is actually closer to Manhattan than when I actually lived in New York.
0: I think if I'm going to move to New York, I think we're going to be neighbors because Jersey City sounds tight. Uh, I grew up Jersey, in the burbs as well. Yeah, most Jersey part.
1: City is definitely slept on. Being from New York, like, you know, we're just, whatever, snobby. <laughs> yeah, or like just close when, to,
0: Yeah, big city snobber. When sure. my
1: friends used to be like, oh, let's go to Jersey. Like, why am I going to go to Jersey? Like, that's backwards. Like, <laughs> <laughs> why would we do that? Let's just go to Manhattan. Yeah,
0: or Brooklyn or, yeah, whatever yeah. the, the poppers thing.
1: Yeah, and back in the day, eh, There was a couple of clubs, of course, you know, but now Brooklyn now is where whatever. That's where all the hipsters are and stuff. So <laughs> kind of like, you know, how people went to Oakland, I guess. Now. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah. So, they,
0: after they got rid of everyone, natives and SF they now go to Oakland. But yeah. I was going to ask. So a lot of people that I know, they're, you know, I'm Brooklyn, I'm Manhattan. They have a lot of pride and Queens gets mentioned, but I don't know a lot about Queens. Hmm. I know like 50 Cent, LL and Action Bronson. I know there's amazing food out there. Uh, a lot of Latino and Asian immigrants, which makes me very curious to visit it. But tell me about Queens growing up as a young Neil Armstrong.
1: Well, you know, like I said, I grew up near St. John's University. So back then they were called the Redmen. Now they're called the Red Storm. For those who don't follow basketball or college basketball, that's the team where Mark Jackson came from. Okay. Chris Mullen came from during the Big East time. So I don't know if you guys out here watch the Big East, but that's Patrick Ewing, yeah. Georgetown and Syracuse, where, you know, Melo came from and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, where I lived was the burbs it looked like a wonder years <laughs> but where like daddy dog one of our other fifth platoon members that was a little more urban you know like there was a street called roosevelt ave and you know music is blaring and it's just like alive there was a elevated train so I, like coming to america I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that, <Sound>. that his <laughs> was like more like that
0: uh-huh.
1: everyone had kind of a different upbringing i lived in a really diverse neighborhood but like back then like a truly middle-class neighborhood so technically it was a a Jewish neighborhood there was like five synagogues within a mile radius of my house but on my particular block was a bunch of black families and you know like maybe upper middle class so they were like doctors and not everyone but some and very safe but you go down the block it could get a little hectic As far as Queen's hip-hop goes, it's really funny how things have shifted a little. I don't know. I mean, Run D M C is from Hollis. And same thing, like, I'm sure Hollis was rough, but it's still, like, a little suburban. Mm -hmm. Working class. I would say so. I don't know what it would be considered nowadays (laughs) because everything is just so screwy. But, yeah, back in the day, you know. Nice. Yeah. Bad neighborhoods would have been like Williamsburg, Mm -hmm. Bushwick.
0: (laughs) Now it's good yoga mats and artisanal coffee Uh and got no salsa,
1: mayonnaise, (laughs) artisanal mayonnaise.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, well, figure to the end. Literally, it's very mayonnaise, (laughs) man. This was a question I was going to ask a little later, but I think uh, Oscar. Now, did that diversity of you just mentioned African American, middle class, working class, Jewish, you yourself being Filipino American, how did that diversity shape your ear and your music?
1: Oh, for me, I mean, that was. Why I am the way I am. I Mm. I think, um, in particular, I grew up in the church. I was United Methodist, whatever, Protestant. My church was insanely diverse, which is, in my experience, it was really rare. Most churches are, I guess, very tribal, you know? They're all black, all Korean. Latino, Mexican. Yeah, Yeah,
0: even Mexican, El Salvadoran gets very specific. They're
1: just very tribal, but mine... There was a Pakistani family, you know, there was Filipinos, there was uh, an Estonian family. Like, it was just really weird. I've always had an extreme diversity in my life. So, you know, I I grew up with everybody and the current climate today is just kind of very, it's not strange to me because I, you know, I'm aware of it, but, you know, it was not odd for me, like a lot of my family members, we were just multicultural. We, We knew everybody. So musically, when I was younger, of course, I had a sister. I, I still have a sister. <laughs> good, <laughs> her sister's good. still around, thankfully. Uh-huh. But um, she's four years older than me. And I guess her influences were uh what a lot of people would call new wave. Everything from Duran Duran to Echo and the Bunnymen to Depeche Mode to Erasure, you know, that, you know, synth sounding stuff to like the House Martins. I don't I don't know if you've heard of those guys, but um, that's a little more obscure. Uh, midnight Oil. So she, of course, was a big influence on the music. But somewhere along the line, like I said, I grew up in the church and the son of the pastor. We grew up when we were, you know, younger, and he ended up moving away. But we would keep in touch. And back then, it wasn't like keeping in touch now. There's no Facebook. This is yeah, like, make an effort. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you. A, like I'll write 80s, your letter. Yeah, you a know? letter. Yeah, yeah. I would sleep over his crib. And he had like the N.W.A. straight oh. out of Compton tape. So he gave that to me.
0: Was that weird for a New Yorker to have N.W.A. at the time?
1: Yes, oh, I think so.
0: How do you think he got it
1: then? I don't know. Same <laughs> way how everyone got stuff. I mean, how did you guys get rap? stuff? Well, yeah. for me, I remember
0: the first rap tapes I ever bought. I was on a family trip to Mexico and this dude had bootleg tapes, mm. like all types of cassettes. Yeah, I think me and my brother, we bought N.W.A. Mm. I bought MC Hammer. I also bought DJ Quick as Tonight. Yeah, I think it was just kind of those random things. You knew somebody that knew somebody and someone in your family, you know, outside the tribe or in the tribe who had that tape. So this guy, was he Filipino as well? He was
1: half Filipino, half white. Okay. Gregory Day.
0: Shout out to Gregory Day. Without him, we would not be here right now. I
1: think I would be a little different. But (laughs) my church is on a street called Hillcrest. Down the block is Hillcrest High School and Jamaica High School. So i'm sure someone came from jamaica high school but anyway these are black neighborhoods my church was in a black neighborhood and i guess at one point it was probably a little more white so you know for whatever reason my church maintained just a lot of different people you know so some of my sunday school teachers are black some are white and then, like i said there was a pakistani family there was a filipino family which is my family But anyway, the other way I got introduced to hip-hop was through b-boying. Oh, okay. You know, there were teenagers in my church, and they would b-boy, and I was just enthralled. I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) what's going on here? How are they doing that? So I would follow them around. You know, I was like this little kid, and I would just, you know, do that. Do that again. Do one (laughs) mil. You know. And, of course, they want to show off. They're a little older. I had that as well. And... (laughs) <laughs> again, dealing with the church. I was, I think, fortunate to grow up in the, the golden era.
0: A specific time in New York. We're talking yes. late 80s, early 90s? Uh, no, yeah, early 90s. Okay. So
1: 1988 is when It Takes a Nation of Millions came out, right? And Slick Rick's album came out and Daylight Soul's album. I'm starting to get old now, so. <laughs> That's okay. I bu- I'd like to say it's 1988. <laughs> Getting when old all that beats stuff. the opposite, so there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, it was 1988. I was still involved in the church, and we would go on these uh conferences. They call them conferences and you've heard of this, yeah. Well yeah. they would they would stick all the people from the different churches in the area or on Long Island that's where De La Soul's from. And, enemy too. Yeah, Rakim, yep, and, right? Yeah. I don't think Rakim's from L.I. Okay. I should know that, but it's <laughs> yeah, terrible. It could be wrong. I guess technically, like, L.L., I think, grew up in Queens, but he's from somewhere in Long Island as well. But, like, EPMD's from out there. Strong Island, I don't know if you remember JBC that. JBC Force. Yeah, yeah okay. there you go. yeah, so it's all about that. Anyway, some of the churches would be from Long Island. Again, it would force this situation where... There would be like straight up white churches from upstate New York. All the kids were white. The other churches were all black.
0: And were they battled? Like the- no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> like in that movie?
1: But I would end up traveling with all the black kids. So the first time I heard De La Soul, their first album, I was on a church trip. And all the kids knew it already. Uh-huh. Someone had a boombox, hit play, and that was the first time I heard Dela. And that was that.
0: Off to the races. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: one of the things that really sucked me in to hip-hop, you know, later on. When I was a little kid, I'm talking about like seventh grade, sixth grade, that was when the Beastie Boys came out. So I liked the Beastie Boys.
0: Were you still listening to the stuff that your sister was bumping? Yes. yes. So the tape rotation can be Depeche Mode, followed by Dayla, kind of NWA, yeah. Yeah. Midnight Oil. Was
1: that common? Oh, I don't think so. I think <laughs> nowadays... People act like it's common, (laughs) but if it was common, you don't admit that. If you're listening to Das FX, you're not going to be like, oh, listen to Morrissey. Like, who does that? I sure as hell didn't, but I was listening to both. I mean, I've seen Depeche Mode in concert six times. Damn. I've seen Erasure in concert maybe three or four times. I've seen New Order with OMD, orchestral maneuvers in the dark, as much as I was in the hip-hop world I was going to these concerts and seeing these shows, and I, I've seen these guys live. You know, I don't know anyone else who's yeah. seen OMD. Well,
0: how many times have you see Das FX? <laughs> well,
1: I never did when I, I was at that, that think... age. Um, maybe later on I did. So I was a pretty sheltered kid as far as like, uh, I didn't do any dirt. You know, I was a nerd. I was a nerdy kid. I used to play the violin.
0: Wow. Do you still play now or?
1: If you gave me a, a violin, I could probably play some stuff just from muscle memory. But, you know, I can't play anymore. I used to be able to read. I was really good at music theory. Like if you played a chord, I wow. could tell you what it was.
0: Uh, and you gave that up? It's hard. not that
1: I gave it up. I just lost it. Like,
0: oh, man. Because I'm studying piano theory right now. And that stuff is, it's hard, but it's gratifying when you learn it. But it's definitely, yeah, it's tough.
1: So. Honestly, I think you'll be fine. You'd get it. <laughs> Thank That's the interesting thing about music. When I was on tour with the Rock Boys, those guys can't read music. That's not how a lot of the people that are out there, they don't go to school for that. The only ones who maybe went to school who could read music are horn players, but the rest of them can't play. Like, they can't read music. It's feeling. Like, music is feeling. I'm convinced of that. Now, if you happen to have that background knowledge, that's even better. Then you could communicate the music. You could be like, no, no, I want a major sixth quarter here and blah, blah, blah. And if you don't have that knowledge, it's tough. But a lot of those guys, you just learn it, you know, as time goes on. You learn it. No one taught you how to replace a fader, right? You mm-hmm. didn't go to engineering school. We didn't go to electrical school, but I can replace a fader. Yeah. if I have to.
0: I guess that's a good way to kind of understand how you listen to all these different types of music was feeling. You found yeah. a certain enjoyment or a soul in Midnight Oil and Das Effects or yeah. EPMD or whatever. Yeah. So you mentioned The Rock Boys and, and that was obviously we were going to talk about this, but let's go to it right now. For the people that don't know, when you say The Rock Boys, what do you mean?
1: Define, <laughs> break that down. Back in uh, 2008, 2010, which is approaching 10 years, I was uh, one of Jay-Z's tour DJs. Ooh, um, Jay-Z.
0: I think he's just in <laughs> town at the little mom and pop place called yeah, yeah, the that. Oracle Arena or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I
1: guess he's okay. You know, initially Jay, you know, followed, I think, the normal two MCs or MC and a DJ type thing. So before I was around Green Lantern, I think, was his DJ for for a really, really long time. When Kanye started incorporating a band, he kind of followed Sweet. Also, the band with a certain type of DJ. So Kanye's DJ was a track mm-hmm. And a track of course, is, I mean, an amazing turntablist, scratcher, battle DJ. And Jay kind of wanted a DJ who could kind of do something similar.
0: Wow. I never put those two two things together, how... They were the yin and yang. like So you were kind of like A-Track's counterpart in Jay-Z's world and the Rock Boys were his string section. You know, yeah, string- yeah,
1: I guess. So at the time, A-Track had stopped DJing with Kanye to start Fool's Gold, mm-hmm. which at the time everyone was like, what are you doing? <laughs> why would you do that? Uh-huh. You know, you're, you're at the top. like Why would you do that? But it's funny, like that was the perception at the time. I think that's a mistake a lot of people make. Like when you work with Someone like a J, a lot of DJs, I think, are like, oh, I made it. I'm good. Mm, But mm. no, that's not the case. Like, A-Track was like, I want to be my own artist. I want to be front and center. He was really smart about it. And I don't know if back then, if I had his talent, if I had his, uh, at the time, like, Starting a label, you know, that was the, the start of the decline of music, you know, yeah, well, of like making shifted. money off yeah, of it. Yeah,
0: it was transformed to what it is now. But yeah, yeah it was definitely a weird yeah, space. to start. Like, there was no Spotify no. or SoundCloud. You
1: are just yeah. busy share. Yeah, I mean, share. record companies were losing money, Yeah, you know, like, so why would you do that? And obviously, he made the, one of the greatest choices of his, of his life. But I think that's a mistake a lot of DJs make. They rest on their laurels. And I think a lot of DJs previously, they didn't think big. All they would see is like, okay, well, I'll keep DJing at this bar, this corner bar forever. And yeah. okay, I'm on the radio, so I'm good. Like even DJ AM, before he showed up, did you ever hear about a DJ owning a club or no, thinking about no. that? Or the, the, starting a
0: DJ... Agency. Yeah,
1: yeah, didn't exist. Well, but.
0: that's one thing I, we're, we're definitely going to talk to you. I want to talk to you about is the sense of entrepreneurship. Because yeah. I remember, you know, how I knew you post battle world and that kind of transition, you're making mix CDs and mixtapes. Yeah. And I think, I remember the first time you talked to me, this blew my mind, that you bought a condo off of pushing in so many mix CDs over time. Like, cause yeah, you yeah. caused the dent in a good way. Is that something kind of you had growing up already or did you pick that up from somebody or just the um, independent hustle from the indie world or...
1: I mean, I think my parents and my upbringing taught me to be smart about money, but even my thing was a little limited, I think. I never thought I would work with Jay. Like that was never a, a uh, something in my head like, oh, one day I'm going to work with a major rapper. You yeah. know, I just kind of went about my business and fortunately these opportunities kind of showed themselves. I think actually a lot of the kids now are a little more business minded. Mm, the traditional sure. old way, for me anyway, you know, you go to school, go to college, get a really good job. I guess that doesn't really exist anymore. You could go to college and have a great degree, but I guess these kids don't really get jobs anymore. So they're you could work a train
0: like the train we hear in the background. (laughs) (laughs) We acknowledge that. Yeah, Yeah, that's a whole nother conversation because I just graduated college a year ago, so Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm I'm kind of being steadfast on degrees work, but what you're saying is right. We're in a different world, and we still don't know where all these things are leading right now. But you picked up that hustle from you know your parents a little bit, and
1: I guess just yeah. My parents, the people who are around me, I guess, I just kind of realized that there was a little bit more I can do or I should do. I think some of it had to do with my position in turntablism and the battle world. I don't consider myself a natural talent, for lack of a better term. Like, I mean, you know Vin Rock, of course. I think he's a natural talent. Mm -hmm. Shortcut, I remember... Vin saying something about short like you know short's a natural talent like he loves djing and he's really good at it i'm not and i was part of a dj crew called the flip platoon i was part of one of the premier dj crews we've had to battle i mean pick someone from like the major crew so i guess
0: i saw you at the itf yeah. thing Beach junkies we had Scratch to battle Barber, the Beach junkies ISP, yeah. we had
1: to battle the x-men Later on in our life, we had to battle the new guys because I emerged, joined our crew. So we've literally battled every major click out there. Not many people could say that. Unfortunately, we were often on the losing end <laughs> of that deal. But someone got to win and someone got to lose. You know, like that's just how it is. But um, even in my own click, I had to battle some of the best DJs, especially at the time. So I had to battle Vin Rock. I'm not gonna beat Vin Rock. <laughs> I had to battle Roly Roll. He's the guy who battled Babu in the ITF, and yeah. I'm not gonna beat Rolly. I had to battle Cutting Candy. I'm not gonna beat Cutting Candy. I had to battle Daddy Dog, and he's another kid who's like a natural talent. That unfortunately, he was kind of in my place as well. Like it's difficult for him to compete against these guys. And then finally, there's a kid named Doughboy who oh, yeah. was like the East Coast Cubert. Like I'm Hughes. not gonna beat Hughes yeah, a big deal.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like
1: I'm I'm not gonna beat him. So. In actuality, even though I was part of this battle click, I've never won a battle in my life. Not one. Well, I haven't won either, so yeah. don't
0: feel bad. We <laughs> be you, <two> losers for <laughs> losers for life.
1: <laughs> well, I guess that, that's one way to look at it, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I would always say, like, I'm the you god, right? I'm you oh, god oh, of Wu-Tang.
0: You guys would be so mad when he hears this. <laughs> I don't think he's up on podcast. <laughs> but so did that kind of understanding your value in DJing, is that what kind of propelled you to, like, you know what? Let me find a different lane. Let me go a different way. Yeah,
1: that's kind of where I was going. Like, not just that, it kind of made me work harder. Mm. I knew I had limited skill set in this world. I had to figure out what my skill set truly was and it was making these Uh mixtapes. And um I was able to monetize it in comparison to a lot of my other friends. Condo. When you say monetize,
0: (laughs) condo. I had friends that were kind of sort of into DJing and hip hop, but even they had it. And I was like, okay, if this dude can cut through the fat beats, raucous ITF world, go into the kind of focused, you know, hip hop mixtape listener to people that again were in the peripheral. I was like, that that's remarkable. Because I think a lot of DJs don't ever really get that, where they cross over and they cut across all these different kind of quadrants of music.
1: That, I mean, especially at the time. So yeah. this is before- Even
0: anytime, anytime, really. You know, back yeah. in the
1: day, like if you were a as DJ, you weren't known for being able to rock a party.
0: You actually and, couldn't rock a party. I yeah. see battle DJs DJ a, a club and it's like, Ooh, oh yeah. boy.
1: You know, yeah. I mean, especially in the late 90s. Oh yeah. And early 2000s, like- you know, at the time, I, I'm not trying to see the X Men DJ, like, not a party. I want to see them do a routine. Yeah. But I want to see Tony Touch. Uh, yeah, do Rich, Spinner, yeah. all the
0: New York guys, like, stretch yeah. the rub, whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of a, a different thing. Nowadays, I think there's a, a better balance. You know, a lot, I know a lot of really good party rock DJs, Short's been DJing forever. And I think he really loves music and he has like a great knowledge and knows how to put stuff together. But there is still this section of the hardcore Scratchers like... Which
0: is sober like coming back in their full force now. It's yeah. weird. It's like yeah, a Yeah, they have vo. their own...
1: Yeah. yeah, which
0: I love. I'm glad oh, to no, see that. Oh no, I
1: love like the Texas Scratch League guys. Oh, and, yeah, shut those guys up fresh. Yeah. yeah, there's one dude. His name's Info. I don't know if you follow him. Oh yeah, him. yeah, yeah. He's I, fire. You know, He's yeah. been
0: fire. Yeah, yeah, forever. Even the guy overseas, kind of Robert Smith. Yeah, Real nasty. But, yeah, there's
1: like that whole other world there's, Different lanes, yeah, yeah. But even still, like I don't really know if I want to go watch them. <laughs> you know, I don't know if they're going to rock you. a party like yeah, that. I, I don't feel know. You. I, feel you. <laughs> I I mean, have no let's, idea.
0: Let's be honest. Even even like underground, like hip hop DJs, like uh, in this whole late '90s, those guys that were known for breaking the newest arsonist or doom, mm-hmm. we're not going to go watch them at 11 o'clock at Club Six or Milk because yeah. they're going to they're going to flop. I mean, that's <laughs> but that's again, everyone has their strengths and all that. Yeah. So you found the mixtape when you found the yes. club world. Give us like a quick timeline like the mix hit because you did a lot, the whole series and you did the oscillating wildly and then you kind of went through different lanes. But what was the whole, tell me how the snowball grew.
1: So I guess it was near the tail end of uh, our first tenure as like uh, the Fifth Platoon. Like it turned it, yeah. yeah. The B-Junkies, I never really realized it, but they were really a generation before us. So mm-hmm. them, ISP, I think they were closer to each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, the X-Men, of course. And we got taught by the X-Men. I mean, like, literally. I learned how to DJ from Mr. Sinister and Total Eclipse. You know, how to Mm -hmm. do routines and stuff. You know, like, if you ever have a conversation with a hardcore turntablist and you're like, well, what's the top three crews? Or What are the top crews? It'll always be ISP, Beat Junkies, you know, the X-Men. You know, those are like the forefathers. At the time, you know, because we were so close to them, we were part of that world they were our teachers but we were also competing with them so i always felt like we were in the conversation with them mm, totally however very quickly the crash dummies who oh, became wow, the right. uh oh my god what was their other names
0: damn I'm so, the yeah. allies yeah so like yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: the allies came up behind them. And
0: that was a track craze yeah, wow, exactly
1: damn. and then you know we had if2 guys you know mortal fader fighters and all these other cliques started to come up behind them. A DJ named Badra, I think his name is Chris Carnes Yeah, 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 Like, yeah. those guys came up, and I forgot his clique as well. But anyway, all of a sudden, we were like the middle children of the turntable history, <laughs> right? We were good, you know, we literally, very. like, we were very good if you knew who we were, but we were fighting these giants, and then we were fighting the people coming up behind us. So I'll always kind of feel that way, that... We didn't reach our potential, I guess. That not even really that. It's just like we were just lost in the mix. You know, there's winners and there's losers. And we were right smack in the middle because we were fighting everyone. You know, we were jogging for a position. So anyway, back then, when you DJed in the battle world, your tenure was short. Like, yeah. Babu really only battled for like two years. Yeah. Not like today. I, don't, I have my friends who, they're still battling, yeah. you know, for like... Six, seven years, maybe even close to ten. Anyway, I kind of saw that our light was dimming. You know oh. that we had to figure out something else.
0: Was that kind of a, a mind trip for you? Like, damn, no, man, I'm no. Because
1: back then we weren't making money. Okay, <laughs> that's not why we did it. We did it because we did it. This is a side note, but if you look at a lot of the turntablists who are out today that are battling, they're kind of used to this thing where you get flown out and they'll pay for your hotel, and you'll win prizes, and you'll win monetary prizes.
0: Or social media clout.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, usually you do. Like, if you do the GMC, you get your flights covered, you get X, Y, and Z covered, you get a a prize, sometimes money. I don't remember what the Goldies got, but you get something. We didn't do that. We didn't win nothing. When we battled the B junkies, the ITF, like Alex, so Alex Aquino, He gave us like 500 bucks for five of us to fly over here, you know, like, because there was no money. We did it. We did it because we loved doing it. The first time I met Shortcut, he was battling at the New Music Seminar. Later on in life, you know, I saw him wearing the shirt. I don't know. We just talked about it. I thought that was the coolest thing that he did that battle. And that's actually why I DJ, because I saw Shortcut in his battle like a Filipino kid killing it and no one cared what color he was you were just cheering him on so I was like yeah I, can, I could do that I think I could do that but we were talking about he's like man you know what I got for that battle I paid a thousand dollars to get there I paid a thousand dollars for that shirt like all I yeah. got was this shirt Damn. that says NMS that's what I won from that you know and you don't think about it that way like Babu didn't make money <laughs> Rhettmatic didn't make money not battling we are hemorrhaging money For the art, I'm bringing this up, I guess, because I think money always screws things up. And I'm happy about what the turntables community is doing now. And, you know, like Red Bull, and I think it's great. I think it's cool, but I will always rather see Babu do his blind alley. You know, I'll always rather see Craze do one of his old routines, you know, just slaying it. It's just different when there's no money involved, when your motivation is just to kill it. You know, it's just a different thing. You can't argue that. Old classic X-Men routines, I'll take them over <laughs> a lot of stuff that are out now as well. The old stuff that like during the Allies when they were battling, the team routines that like the ISP made up.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I saw the ISP versus X-Men video. Yeah. That was, that changed my life. Yeah. I, remember I got a bootleg video. They
1: didn't make money off of that.
0: No, that, that was, I yeah. guarantee was you bootleg. they didn't make money that off of bootleg that. bootleg as hell.
1: Yeah. I, I was there. Like yeah. I'm I'm like in the corner. You could see me bobbing my head. It was just literally done purely for love. And now it it's really different. You know, the motivation that people have are just really different if you look at like the Texas Scratch League guys, mm-hmm. like the cuts that they're doing, they're not making money off of that either. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah. The stuff it's a they communal do. I can't thing. Even, yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of like what
0: we were a part. I was, yeah. I was a little younger than you guys, but it was still yes, part of that. You that just want to
1: go. You want to show what you got.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I'm not trying to win a title. Yeah. I'm trying to show you, yo, this is what I could do. Let's scratch
0: and right, I, right now. Cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like it, it's just kind of different when money isn't, a motivation, and I think uh, you know that's just unfortunate. But all right, so the <laughs> what were we were initially talking about before I went on the tangent.
0: No, that relates to entrepreneurship and and mixtapes and mix oh, okay, yeah, there the we snowball. go. So yeah. back
1: to the mixtape. So you know, I could feel my light in particular dimming. You mm-hmm. know, I never even had a light, so yeah, uh-huh. you know, and I don't, I, the don't light, I don't. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> okay, but if the fifth platoon was a party, right? I was like the glitter. You okay. know, everyone else was like the spotlights. The fireworks. I was just the glitter that comes down at the end, you know. And I say that with no victimization. Like this is just, you know, it's just back.
0: Yeah, you're real. Yeah.
1: I can't cut like I Emerge. I mean, I Emerge One was the last U.S. battle DJ to win back to back Mm -hmm. GMCS. Vinrock, ITF ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah. You know, like back to back. This is what these are the people I have to deal with. So of course, when I walk into the room. They're not looking at me. They're looking at everyone else. My job ended up being like I was basically the cruise manager. Oh, you know? okay. So I was doing all these things. I was making the connections for us to do shows and to meet people. Later on when he um, was actually DJ Spinner, and, I, and I've told the, him this story a couple of times, but you know, I, honestly, I don't even know if he's heard my mixtapes. <laughs> <laughs> Spinner at the ITF 97 did this set where he played the original samples. And, you know, back then he had to do it all on vinyl. There was no Serato back then. And I was just amazed. I was like, holy crap. Wow. That's where that song comes from. So I heard what he did. And, you know, Spinner's not a scratcher. Uh But at the time I was. Okay. So Vinrock had come out with a mixtape called uh, Reconstruction. I love that tape. Yeah. So it's a jam. you guys out there who haven't heard it yet, you should hear it because that, that was actually like, you know, it will never get mentioned in, in like a, a DJ Who kid or a, that type of mixtape, but that was an amazing display of turntableist skill with musicality, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was the whole point of triple threat. Yeah, you know, later on. So Again, this whole idea that like turntablists aren't really musical. They don't really rock parties. Triple Threat was the first group and they don't get enough credit for doing it. Mm-hmm. But they were the group that said, no, you shouldn't just bore people with scratching for 24 hours. You should make them groove.
0: And made beats too. Yes. And it. Yeah. And
1: at the time they got blasted for it. People don't remember that. But this Red Bull style, that's all because of Triple Threat. That was not happening back in the day. What I'm saying right now is a straight-up fact. Like, you can ask Vin, ask Short. They got so much crap from the turntabless community that they turned their back on scratching and blah, 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 and real skills and this, that, and the other. And that's what everyone's doing now. They were the ones who started that. But anyway, I heard what Vin did. I heard what uh, Spinner did, and I was like, I think I could do something like this. Dealing directly with the... Original samples and adding, you know, my skills as a turntablist to the mix, and again, besides Vin, no one was doing that. You know, Con and Amir had mm. their break tapes Moreau, and
0: Khan Men. yeah, a couple yeah, people were doing um, that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Ken Sport, yeah, yeah, uh, I don't, I'm, yeah, I was just surprised we, we, that we, you we knew. You can those go down guys, the list yeah. of
0: like, yeah, you, you know, know playing
1: Kyle. original samples, but those guys weren't. You know, they were, I guess, selectors yeah, it was a, would be a better time. record champs, yeah.
0: for, for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. But
1: I was a scratcher. I, uh-huh. I mean, not even, you know, I was a turntablist kid. Yeah. So I put the two together. I made a mixtape called Original. And that was it. That was like, it was off to the races. Yeah. Very soon after that, I did a mixtape called Sweet. Mm. I loved the hip hop stuff. Now, you got to put it into the mindset of the time. This is Wu-Tang time. This is Das FX time. This is Onyx. This is hardcore. I put out a mixtape with <laughs> "Don't Look Any Further" and uh, Bernard Wright. Who and, do you love? The, who do you love? Yeah, that? yeah. And uh, Juicy M2Me, and those are more obvious stuff. But you know, soft like like r like, Those
0: are classics now. At the by the well, time you were no, saying- they were
1: classics, but not for a turntablist kid, uh-huh. not for a kid who listened to to Wu Tang and was walking around with chimbos on. My boy, Daddy Dog, he would always make fun of me. He's like, "Yo, what is this soft shit?" Like, <laughs> eventually, that would become my yard, my stick right? If, if Wally made fun of me, uh, Daddy Dog's real name is Wally. If he made fun of me for my mixtape, then I knew it would be good. But yeah, so I made Sweet, and again, you know, I didn't invent the wheel, I didn't reinvent the wheel. But a turntablist kid who was from the battle community was not making mixtapes like this. They just weren't. Other people were, like G Bo the Pro who actually I quoted, I gave props to, because they're the guys who inspired me to make sweet. I made sweet, people liked it, and for a very long time, and you would see me at Milk, I wasn't making a lot of money doing the gig, but I was making a lot of money selling my mixtapes like Amoeba. Yeah. Like a lot. Yeah. Like I said, when
0: I I, had those people that were outside the DJ world, outside like the intense hip hop world that they had in their car or in their dorm or in their house it's like you know this is something yeah. and so, that's, so that, and that's where the whole condominium thing comes in that yeah. you're you're pushing weight you yeah. Were, yeah I, you really I were. guess somehow
1: trunk. that became my thing I became known as whatever this mixtape DJ with a as background eventually my mixtapes ended up in the right people's hands so people I knew who got my mixtapes were the guys who used to be the editors at Vibe magazine mm, mm, mm. Yes. Uh, at MTV, VH1, down the line. One woman in particular who really ended up helping out was a girl named Vashi Kola. So I don't know how- Vashi, yes.
0: Yeah. She is, yeah, queen yeah. of the internet.
1: They would all hear my mixtapes and really like them. And another person who would like my mixtapes was a kid named uh, Oscar who used to work at Adidas. Is
0: that the guy that does a party with Vashti? No, no. Different Oscar. Okay.
1: So basically, I just told you a bunch of people who ended up helping mold my life. So there was a kid named Hyun Kim who used to work at Vibe. Yeah. He was like the tech editor for Vibe magazine. And there was a point where they pitched this story about mixtape DJs. One page was like the OGs, so Brucey e. B and all the OGs, Ron then, G and yeah. Rated
0: R or whatever. Yeah,
1: the next page was the current OGs. So at that time, it was like K Slay and Who Kid. Oh, wow! Then the next page was the newcomers. So at the time, it was DJ Vlad.
0: Oh, wow, the guy does the TV show. And, <laughs> the Vlad TV. Um,
1: DJ L was in that picture. This kid named Sycamore, all oh. the guys who were doing. The bootleg street
0: tapes. Yes. Yeah. And Sycamore was the A at Atlantic for now, a while. Or yeah. S- I, I s- don't, don't know if he's still doing, but, but he, for a while. Yeah. He was the industry, so for yeah. sure. He was
1: an industry dude, and me. <laughs> yeah. There's <laughs> all these guys and me, so I ended up in that picture, and Vashti. Wasn't quite Vashti yet. She <laughs> 1.0, 1.0,
0: Yeah.
1: I remember clearly, like, I actually DJ'd a party at Jeff Staples' read space for Oliver Wang's one of his earlier books.
0: This is quite the flex, this whole little segment right here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I remember Vashti, it's small, it's a small oh, yeah, yeah, space. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. she was just watching me DJ. The guy who would end up becoming my manager used to work at, um, MTV and he used to write for Freshness Mag. So Freshness was a website that was started by Yuming. Yuming is the guy who does stadium goods and yeah. sneaker con. Yeah. So my stuff was ending up in these people's hands. This who is ended amazing, up man. With,
0: like these are people that define culture right now and, yeah. and they were champions. Yeah. They championed your stuff.
1: Yes, absolutely. God ah,
0: damn. That beats an ITF. <laughs> <laughs> that beats a DMC any old day, man.
1: I guess in a way, you know, like... It's funny, all I ever wanted at the time when I started DJing, I wanted to win something. I you wanted, wanted to win a, you a, win a, life, a title. Yeah. You know, I wanted that. But, um, you know, like that Rolling Stones song, you can't always get what you want. You I get what you song. need.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah.
1: So I remember my manager or the guy who would become my manager, Sky,
0: yeah.
1: they put my mixtapes on the MTV server. So all my mixtapes, all these people who would end up defining culture, had my mixtapes from, you know, various sources.
0: It's insane. I'm just thinking about it right now. Like, damn, dude.
1: Now, the story with Jay, there's two versions that I've heard.
0: (laughs) Two versions of how you met the rapper
1: named Jay-Z. Well, for sure, I made a mixtape called Bittersweet. I mean, I don't know. I've never heard another DJ make one like that. I mean, it really told a story using dialogue. Again, I didn't invent the wheel. Like, other DJs have done that. In particular, Spin Dad was... Doing that like mm, crazy. The 80s tape, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. On the 80s tape. But the way I did it was to tell this story about a relationship. And I've never heard anyone do that before I did. You know, I'm sure someone did, but I've never heard it. But I had this idea to do that. Now, this is a for sure story. I was there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no dispute.
1: So who ended up getting it was a guy named Kenny Burns. Kenny Burns used to work at Rockefeller. At the time, Rockefeller Records was also making an offshoot label called Rock Music. Yeah. And I get a call, phone call. It's Kenny Burns. And this is, I don't know, 2003, 2002. They call me in for a meeting. And I, I don't really know what's supposed to happen. I'm not part of that world. I'm still... Part of the little turntablist world.
0: Were you nervous? You're just curious or uh, yeah.
1: curious. Definitely a little nervous.
0: Did you did you dress up or just kinda of no, like, no. triple no, no. five soul? Baby? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Rock as uh sweatshirt yeah, or something. Yeah, probably.
1: Probably triple five. Not
0: Adidas. Not you weren't not no, no. Not I yet. Wasn't, not yet. No. Not yet. Not so yet. You go talk to Kenny Burns. Yet.
1: Kenny, I have a meeting with him and his team, and they tell me what they felt like when they heard my mixtape that uh they were in like the tour bus or whatever and there's a blend I did with Sade. I threw like the front and beat. Yeah. It. And they told me he heard it and he started doing laps up and down the aisle. He was like, he was like, "Yo, what the fuck is this? And, you know, that type of thing. Of course, I, you know, I'm smiling. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm glad you like it. So bring brings me to the other room and he introduced me to Damon Dash. <laughs> so I meet Dame.
0: This is like Dame at peak Dame.
1: Uh, peak, but this is when Rockefeller Records fell apart. Oh, okay. I had this meeting and I, I was supposed to do like a mixtape for them. But literally that December is when <laughs> Rockefeller broke up.
0: Did you ever finish this tape or did you ever do it?
1: I did it. I put it up on the website. Uh-huh. Later on, I made a mixtape called mm. Smooth. smooth. yeah. And they ended up, Kenny Burns basically, and he Kenny knows he did this. <laughs> if he's listening, what's up, Kenny? They basically bootlegged my mixtape and put another cover on it. Uh, and gave it out like an industry mixtape. They didn't sell it or anything. Yeah, they just free. did it. You got bootlegged by... Yeah, by exactly. Rocky I'm Lewis not got, mad. That's I'm a not nice mad. little of, I don't that, think a lot
0: of dudes can say that. Yeah. <laughs> Jay-Z bootlegged me. Not the other around. But
1: that, you know, that time everyone's fractioned off, so yeah. definitely not Jay. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the other story that ended up happening, people told me was... Um, Jeff Staple told me this story. And I have to ask him about this. While the Fit Platoon was coming up in New York, there's just stuff that people... I don't think they'll ever understand because it's not the same anymore. In New York, all these cross cultures, these countercultures, like we all knew each other. So the people in the movie Kids, Mm -hmm. one of the dudes, one of the skaters used to work at Fat Beats. You know, we were all around each other. So Harold Hunter, he used to come see us DJ. I have a video of us. It was us, company, flow.
0: Hold up, Harold Hunter, Company Flow, Neil Armstrong?
1: No, like, we were, like, South you New know, York. someone had a, you know, a video camera, and what was Company Flow's crew's name?
0: Oh, The Indelibles? Yeah. Damn, so, like, I'm a the, nerd so, for knowing that one. Props <laughs> So, to The me. Indelibles
1: <laughs> were performing. Yeah, I have a video, like, LP introduced us. But, like, Harold Hunter comes into the frame. You know, I was like, oh, shit, it's Harold. You know, and this is before he passed on. But we all hung out with each other. All, so, all the B-boys knew each other. If you were a B-boy... You went to the turntable of stuff. And that was kind of like here too, I yeah. think. You know, like Mikey Disco still, Oh, you know, shout out to yeah. him. At the yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: the polo guy. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: you know, like the twins out here. Mm, like, mm. see, I, I know who they are because they used to come to our gigs, yeah. you know. Kind of the same thing. But Harold Hunter would show up. And Jeff Pang, I don't know if you know who he is. He's a, another New York local guy. So, we all knew each other either via Fat Beats or just street. Like, that was our campus, like the New York streets. To me, that was my campus. When I was even in high school, the streets were our hallways. You literally would be like, yo, where are you going to be at? And then we'd run into each other. And there's like videos of like Supernatural in Washington Square Park. I've been in those ciphers, like, you just walk up with your backpack uh-huh, and see. you got most deaf rapping. And Jean Gray, who, what, what? She used to be yeah, called what? That's what. a resource. So, yeah, so I knew her as what, what? Most of uh, I guess, is his brother, right? UTD, you yeah. Know, Urban they would just Dynamics. be around. Yeah, like you just go down the street, oh, they're right there. Like it was like that at that time. So, like I said, Harold would show up, blah blah blah, would show up. Jeff Staple, Staple hadn't existed yet, so Jeff Staple made our Fit platoon logo. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, yeah. he's the guy who created our logo. Damn, <laughs> you know, and. Now, Jeff's Jeff. Yeah. All this to say is like, yeah, we were at this really weird point where all these things were converging. And in my little personal bubble, I kind of just knew the right people and they really helped me.
0: Cause that snowball.
1: Yes. Absolutely. To
0: get to, to the whatever rock, the Rock Boys, yeah. you Did you meet the president?
1: Oh no, I didn't get to. I, meet. I'm
0: talking about Beyonce, by the way, not, not Barack. <laughs> oh <Obama>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you met Beyonce? Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course she did.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah no Yeah. yeah.
0: I really? mean she's really cool. So did she be like, hey, what's up, Neil? Or was it like, oh, I, um, I know your knew, face? No, I mean, DJ it was guy. me
1: and a bunch of black dudes. So <laughs> I just stood out stuck a out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They all, like, you know, they knew who I was. And when
0: you say black guys? That's the hypnotic brass ensemble, or no, no, it was a, it was a, no, he had a the Rock Boys wasn't like a horn section. The
1: section. Section was from they called them the like the Illadelf horns okay. I guess. I
0: was thinking of somebody else Illadelf horns it was a <laughs> whole I do band know,
1: I know the brass those guys Okay, I know those guys too but all the rock boys are black, except me. So, I, you know, I stuck out so like a sore thumb.
0: Beyonce. So, Beyonce remembered you? When yeah, yeah. To- yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know if she'd remember me now. Yeah. You know, I'm a little chubbier, and I haven't <laughs> seen her in years. So
0: <laughs> She would. She would, man. She's a big yeah. fan of ITF videos. She,
1: <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. See, here's a, another tangent. Like, I remember at the ITF one year, like, Claire Danes was there. I, I don't know why, but she was there. <laughs> like, like, just weird stuff like that would always happen back then. But, all right, so Jeff Staple, this, that, and the other. So Jeff tells me this story once I come into the Reed space. And back then, we were, I, I guess, whatever. This is, I don't know, maybe 2003? Yeah. Definitely before I met with Kenny Burns. And actually, I think it's all related. This guy, Ashley Nichols, was, I guess, Dame Dash's... Uh, or Jay's road assistant. He worked with them very closely. This is not verbatim from Ashley, this version. This is from Jeff. So Jeff, me and Daddy Dog, mm-hmm. the guy who made fun Wally. of me for making Sweet. Yeah, while We go into Staple and Jeff's like, yo, Ashley Nichols, this guy Ashley, he works with Jay and, and Dame. Yo, Jay heard your mix. He heard original or heard whatever. It's one of them, maybe Bittersweet. I don't know. I think it was original. And according to Jeff... Now, I don't know if he remembers this, but I remember this. And if you ask Wally, he'll remember it because he was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Jay heard my mix and you know how I used the dialogue. He used that to make the Black Album. He, want, oh. he said, I want the Black Album to sound like this. Now, the Black Album, if you listen to the beginning of, album noir, you know, yeah. uh, what more can I say? He uses the dialogue from the movie, from uh, Gladiators. Like, things like that. Wally's just like... <laughs> <laughs> you mean Jay zone right? Not Jay-Z, J-Zone, right? <laughs> so he's laughing. Everyone... I'm just laughing because I'm like, this is ridiculous. Uh-huh. Like, the same thing. I'm like...
0: Well, yeah, whatever. W- whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: don't gas me. Like, this is ridiculous. But they're like, yo, I swear you, dude, this is what Ashley told us. Like, him and Nico. So Nico's um, his partner. Or not partner. Like, Nico's like, yeah, been part of, that world. Yeah. of yeah. Jeff and Stable forever. So they tell me... and. You know, we just laughing. I'm just like, Dude. whatever. Fast forward a couple of years later, I'm working with Jay. Damn. So I go to the Hollywood Bowl and Ashley Nichols is there. Basically, so on a, on a related note, Ashley Nichols and the Kenny Burns thing. Kenny Burns basically took, Ashley was the one who tried to put me in touch with Jay and Dame. <laughs> but Ken, and this I know for a fact, Kenny kind of took me out and Ashley was really pissed about it at the time. Uh. You know, there was all this drama around it and then it just dissolved. Me and Ashley end up meeting at the Hollywood Bowl later and he tells me this story. He's like, Neil, ask Jay. He was like, you know, this is when Jay and Beyonce were still, like, dating. He was like, tell him, remember that mixtape that Ashley was playing for you on the boat in the Mediterranean, you know, that you really like? That was me. Tell him. Tell him that's you. And I, I never talk to jay by because i'm like
0: it's such like a random thing i
1: don't know i mean i'm not like that the validation would be cool but all it is is to you know feed an ego like it's cool if you liked it great if not whatever but ashley told me this directly he's like look jay knows who you are jay <laughs> knows your work pre what you were doing with him like you just have to remind him go ahead just do it and i was just like, no it's, whatever i was like yeah it's cool i i have ashley's number still but i don't think he's in the industry i think he kind of left again fast forward so these are the stories that i have all these backstories on one side Uh okay i have to assume that jay probably knew at least the name yeah he's probably heard my mixes for sure according to ashley but for sure how i ended up getting the job that i do know like 100% Vashti, this woman who watched me DJ all these years ago at the Jeff Staple party for Oliver Wang, was working for Jay-Z at Def Jam in 2007, 2008. Jay needed a DJ who could work with a band who could do stuff like A-Track. Jay asked A-Track to do it. A track couldn't do it because he had just stopped working with Kanye. Mm. Now I don't know what public perception is, but obviously you guys know, like Jay and Kanye are having friction right now. Same thing back in the day, like it's not the same. Working with Jay is not working with Kanye. They're two I, separate. I would people. guess so.
0: I would think so you know? as well.
1: <laughs> like I thought it was the same thing. Sure. Oh, it's all Rockefeller, all family. What's the difference? No, this is different, entirely different. So he couldn't. A track couldn't do it. Vashti, Jay asked Vashti, who should I work with? <laughs> She like, oh, you need to work with Neil.
0: He plays Viola. <laughs> <He's good>. he <laughs> you plays need Viola, to work yeah. with
1: Neil. You know, I get an email on a Wednesday. Do
0: you still have that email?
1: Yeah, I do. Nah, <laughs>
0: do you have it framed? No, nah, nah. nah, nah, nah,
1: nah. <laughs> From Sky, my manager. Yeah. And Sky is like, hey, Neil, you're in line to be Jay's DJ. <laughs> and um, I'm like, whatever. It's crap. By that next Monday, I was in front of 10,000 people. Damn, I
0: like how you go, oh, whatever, go DJ.
1: I mean... It's, Like, I don't know. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I don't know these people. I, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me to connect that dot. Yeah. For sure, the the one definite story that I know is that Vashti... Basically connected the
0: dots for me. Dude, you're like a Forrest Gump of like cool oh, New York PJ yeah. shit. Like, oh yeah, Vashti. That's a good way. Saved. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I never I,
1: thought about that. I, I, well, <laughs>
0: you, that's, that's my gift to you. That you could definitely have that. That's I mean, because yeah, that whole thing like Oliver Wang, Jeff Staple, Vashti, Ash, you know the uh, Ken the people at Rockefeller. You know uh, Harold Hunter LP. I mean that's yeah. that. I mean I feel feel like captures got a very specific time in New York City. You know, that's something I saw from the West Coast, like kind of from afar, like through magazines or mm-hmm. whatever. But you were there firsthand kind of. Yeah,
1: a little bit. Yeah, you know. So, definitely. But we're talking about, so this is a span from when we became the fifth Platoon it was 1997. So 1997 to 2007, everything I told you happened over those 10 years. That's a
0: good chunk. Yeah, I, yeah that's definitely when indie hip hop, underground hip hop was like, Move, then it became club hip hop, and then you know, you get into the idea yeah. of like dance music and you know, electro clash, and
1: yeah, a little, yeah,
0: yeah, it definitely goes, yeah, along. that
1: started, I'd say, right around that time as well, yeah. So, yeah, that's how I ended up working that with Jay. Now, after Jay, I, it was really interesting the day that I found out I was gonna stop touring with Jay, and
0: you're on the train, that's why we had this train in the background, yeah.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> The day that I stopped working with Jay was the day that I became a spokesperson for Adidas. There was no time for me to sulk or be upset about uh-huh. not touring anymore. Wow. That's not nice his consolation prize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah kind of. Yeah. But it's interesting to kind of note that Adidas in 2008 was not what it was today. Yeah. It was an entirely different animal. The hype beast world was not wearing Adidas. Yeah. Alexander Wang didn't come out with the
0: tailored sweats. It was still. It was just a different. It was just, you know. It was streetwear. It was all over print shirts and fitted hats. And Um, even before the whole dandy thing, it was. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. yeah. I'd say 2007 was like when Bape was really big and all that. So Adidas was really. They didn't have a representative from, you know, whatever. Streetwear. Hip hop. Yeah. From hip hop, from urban culture. For sure. Uh, Not like how everything else was getting co-signed. Like, you know, I'm not saying this with a big head. Like, I was the Kanye of that time for Adidas. They had on the side of their Portland office, there was a, I don't know, a hundred foot poster of me (laughs) on their wall in Mm -hmm. Portland. And, you know, my friends used to clown me all the time. They're like, look at this. Crap! Because yeah. they know I, I, I'm not like you're not, that. You're not yeah, so they would just send me pictures and you know laugh at me. We laugh at now because <laughs> now
0: I was thinking about this. Like today, there's people that that's their whole goal. Like I want to be a brand ambassador, or they yeah, see in their Instagram so. profile yeah. like, oh, brand ambassador yeah. this or influencer or yeah. early. Adopter. And that wasn't that, that wasn't around
1: back then. So you're
0: either early early adopter. you really For are sure. the early adopter. Yeah. this stuff.
1: Oh no, absolutely. I mean, that was one of the, I remember I wrote a post just cause like I just saw. All of a sudden, I turn around. Everyone's wearing Adidas, Mm. and everyone's trying to do food events. I've been doing this for like the past four years. So I was like, "Yo, look, thank you guys. Welcome to the party. I've been waiting for you guys to join us." The food got cold, but we'll
0: reheat it. And that's one thing I wanted. We could talk about a lot more things, but I want to talk about. So you transitioned from Jay Z, uh, working with the brands and brand ambassador. But how did you go? to becoming a food person. Did you, I'm guessing, because Queens and your diversity, you just said, were you exposed to a lot of different food growing up when you had a very specific, <laughs> sophisticated palate? Or no, that, oh, no, no,
1: not at all. Like I, I started doing food stuff. To, actually, I, the first one I did was with Fran, with Fran Boogie at, uh, my God, how many Pol- years was ago is this? No. Maybe 2012 was the first one I did.
0: Okay, it's not a polling.
1: No, no. Uh, the restaurant isn't around anymore. But I basically, I came out with the, uh, the 10-year anniversary of Sweet I was like, you know, everyone loves food. It's almost like a parallel art form to uh,
0: music. To create, music. Create, yeah, creative, yeah. If you're creative in one thing, you can find parallels and yeah. find
1: those connecting ideas. Anyone can listen to music. Anyone can cook food. But there's people who elevate it and understand it to a point where it becomes an art form. You have your DJs, your producers, your you know, those guys can listen to music and they hear something a little different and they, they understand it a little differently. And same thing, you know, when I was a kid... I could make mac and cheese, that's it, you know, from the box. But there's those chefs who will take the same ingredients and create a a masterpiece. For sure. So I just saw those parallels, and I ended up just kind of becoming a foodie later on in life and also a cook. You know, I would never disrespect the word chef, you know, just like people call themselves DJs and they're not a DJ, you know. I can cook. I can't cook for a restaurant, but I can cook, and I enjoy that creative process so I wanted to kind of do something where I put those things together and 2012 that wasn't happening yet you know there was no Action Bronson show <laughs> Eddie Young yeah, yeah. Yeah. was still he was around but you know he wasn't like the ghetto Anthony Bourdain yeah, yet he was
0: still at, like, uh, yeah yet. that
1: was the one that was the one restaurant he had yeah. at the time uh-huh. there was definitely no no one else was doing these food events so I really wanted to do something kind of joining that together So I started dinner in a mixtape, and the first one I did was out here in SF with Fran. So I've done one with a couple. I've done three with Roy Choi, Dale Talde, who was on Top Chef, this place called Ronin Mm -hmm. out in Hong Kong. Basically all over the U.S. I've gotten to do already. So this is the same thing with the DJ thing. I've been really fortunate. The things that have worked for me have come very organically. I remember when people, like, would find out what I did they they hit me up well what do I do well, like who do I send this to and how do I become do what you do and I've never had to do that not that works for some people you know some people I don't know audition I, I don't know what people do but everything that I've ever gotten to do happened very naturally not forced That seems to be something that works for me. And I think for a lot of people, you know, like, I don't think you can force those type of things, that kind of success. I think you need to be you.
0: Yeah. You can't fake authenticity.
1: I guess. You know, like if you look at the people who transcended, uh, Mike Realm, I think is a good example. So, you know, before Mike Realm looked like a hip hop kid, Mm -hmm. whatever that means, baggy jeans, you know, a little more thuggish. But I guess at some point he was like, you know what? That's not me. I'm gonna go put my suit on, sheet geek it out, or whatever he wants to call it, or whatever it's called. But you know, he looks like a nerd. Trust me, I'm a nerd too, so I'm not disrespecting him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, you know? He made him him. Mm-hmm. And he became insanely successful. Like insanely. Like he he's, one of, yeah. he's one of the few DJs that I know that could do him an equivalent today is like he don't have to play Despacito <laughs> like he can scratch for an hour did the video stuff did stuff that interested him looked like him and you, he thrives and uh, you know there's precedence for that like I don't know if you watch wrestling but like The Rock right uh-huh. The Rock wasn't The Rock our before, boy John is you know, a huge
0: wrestling fan Rocky yeah.
1: Maviano right people didn't like him he was not liked but when he became him Obviously, uh, in an embellished version of him, that's when he became successful. Same thing with Steve Austin. Steve Austin wasn't always the rattlesnake, this, you know, beer drinking, you know, guy. He used to have like another character. But when he incorporated him into it, he became one of the greatest wrestlers in history. So I I think, I don't know, you know, maybe that's what happened with almost everyone I know who is. And you and yourself. Including myself. I I mean, like even A-Track, like. Atrag used to wear like a do-rag. Like, he used to wear... Because <laughs> he wanted to be, you know, look hip-hop. hip-hop. Yeah,
0: it was the style at the time. Yeah. yeah. But he grew into himself.
1: Yes. You know, and grew into his... You know, before this term EDM was around, the music existed. Mm. It wasn't really until hip-hop urban DJs like uh, an a track started delving into the music and playing it where we decided to start calling it EDM. Yeah. That's my opinion. Because I think Calvin Harris. Yeah. What what are you talking about? Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah, All that stuff was around. Carl Cox
1: was around. Like pick someone. They were around. Frankie Knuckles was around. House music was around. But all of a sudden now there's this separation because now we had non-those type of DJs playing this music. And a track came into himself like he likes that music like you could tell like he Mm, loves rocking that stuff now like for example with me there was a point especially when i was with jay where if you mention a track that would be a comparable conversation neil a track because we were both working for major artists like you know me dude (laughs) can you imagine me like standing up there like you know yeah (laughs) you know like all my friends would be like
0: I made mean, like well, a Star like Wars a, a premiere of Star Wars tonight. Yeah, <laughs> you <know? laughs> you'll be fist bumping. But,
1: but yeah. you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I knew that. I knew it'd be really unnatural for me to do that stuff, even though a lot of people pursued it because that's what you had to do to make money. That
0: right? was their despacito.
1: Yeah. You know, you had to. And it's energy, right? Yeah, music there's is appeal energy. appeal to it, for sure. It's great. The energy of that music is amazing. But like I said, if Vin Rock saw me do that, you would be like, come on, man, Neil, what are you doing? <laughs> it wouldn't fit me. Uh-huh. So I think that is an important key to anyone's success. Like I remember when Chopped and Screwed was really popular, people making chopped and screwed mixtapes, but they didn't get big off of it because that's not you. Yeah. Like you gotta find out what you are, what your thing was. And my thing at the time was, you know, making these mixtapes. That was what allowed me to have financial success. And personal success. And I've just told you these stories. If I've never told you this, you, it's a story. Like, yeah. I'm making these things up. Uh-huh. But, yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. Like, what, everything I've told you is what happened to me. How is that possible for me just making a mixtape?
0: Uh-huh.
1: Who knows? It's yeah. not. You know, it wouldn't be possible. But it is because that was what I'm supposed to do you know I love music I love a certain genre of music I love putting it together a certain way I love scratching I love the turntable and stuff and it came together and the food and yeah. work with and brands then, yeah. and touring
0: and Jay-Z yeah. yeah I mean looking at this list you, some people just excel in one area maybe two but we're talking multiple lanes so at this point and I always like to ask our the guests on the show like for, and what what's next after DJing for you, I feel like you've done everything. So, what is next for you? What do you still want to do? I mean, are you going to go into a whole different lane? Are you going to go into filmmaking? I don't, I mean, I, you, uh, I know you run. I know you run. Yeah, you're yeah, a, <laughs> like a late- I was.
1: I was running before, I guess I'm whatever. I had all these bigger opportunities and I got hurt, actually. That's why I stopped, but I started running again just for health reasons. Man, you know what? Most of us DJs have picked a really difficult job to have because there's no old timers days for most of entertainment i mean i think miss elliott's right a great artist mm-hmm. forever but i don't really know a lot of people are trying to check her new latest album if she comes out with one mm-hmm. we are in a industry that naturally throws away it's old it's not just hip-hop if the monk was still alive today and if he was trying to work no disrespect, but chances are if he was at a gig today, he'd be at some Holiday Inn. Or you know?
0: doing some Michael Buble, some, yeah. Yeah, something away from yeah. spiritual jazz.
1: He wouldn't be selling out like a huge club. I've met members of the Temptations. You know, Temptations were huge. Are you checking for a solo Temptation dude that's not, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like yeah. one of the main guys? Like, no, no one is. It's the nature of this business that we've, unfortunately got sucked into i've actually always kind of known this you know i always had it in the back of my head and a lot of us a lot of my dj friends from our era again when we started this we never made money you know it wasn't a career goal we just did it and some of us figured out ways you know i know a lot of djs today you know they're wedding djs for example and back in the day i think that would be a almost like a like a really bad thing but shoot some of the best parties I've ever done at weddings <laughs> and ones that actually pay. And you're you know, getting, like, paid yeah, 000, I'm getting paid yeah. i am getting paid to do something I would do and, you know, I'm listening to anyway. I'm doing yeah. it anyway. No one else is doing that. To me, that's the smartest thing for these guys to do. You know, if I had been a little more proactive and pursued it, I should have started a wedding agency. I know people have done it and, yeah. you know, they're smart. Early on when I wasn't finding quote-unquote success as this turntable is god you know i wasn't winning the itf belt you know then mm-hmm. you have that belt i just figured again referencing that rolling stone song like this is what i want but that's not what i need i need to figure out how to monetize this and to make a career out of it and be smart about it back then you didn't call it making yourself a brand not being a brand ambassador making yourself a brand mm-hmm. you no know, i don't think people thought of it that way especially djs i wasn't the mentality. But early on, I was like, all right, that's what I need to do. And I figured that out. My ability to transfer that brand, though, is, again, not a new concept. I mean, George Foreman's a boxer, but <laughs> most people who know who George Foreman is because he sells a grill. You're like right? Snoop
0: Dogg. Yeah. Oh, it's a guy with Martha Stewart. And you tell now, people he used to rap. It's like, "Whoa, really? Like, yeah. Yeah, he was kind of, yeah, like, yeah. yeah.
1: Bismarcky on, on yeah. the show. Most Def. Yeah. The people who are rappers from back in the day who still have relevance, very few of them have relevance because of rapping. Yeah. Ice Cube's an actor, Common's an actor, Kellis, is that how Khalise. Oh, I, I yeah, she, she, she has a she has a cooking show.
0: Yeah, Nas does a lot of tech investment. Yeah. Yeah. So what is gonna be your next move then? Man, I don't know. And do you worry about not knowing? Or you oh didn't? of course. Oh shit. Oh.
1: I mean, I think everyone should, especially when you graduate to having some kind of real life. I started pretty late. I started when I was 21. For us, is late. Like Vinrock, even though he's younger than me, he's been DJing way longer than I have. He started DJing when he was like 17, 16. Same thing with Roly and all those guys. You know, when you're a 17-year-old kid and some club says, all right, I'll pay you 100, 200 bucks and you can drink all night. <laughs> oh my God, I'm the king. <laughs> uh-huh. I made it. But when you're 30 years old and you're still doing the exact same thing, that's not good. <laughs> like, You always need the mentality of stepping up your game. I mean, if you ever interview Vin, you ask Vin, like, yo, did Neil ever say, like, yo, I want to quit? And I'm sure he'll tell you. Like, I, I would always, I would talk to Vin. I'd be like, man, I, I can't keep doing this. Because I'm also really lucky. I, This was not my backup plan. Like, I'm fortunately pretty well educated. I went to Cooper Union. I went to school in a full tuition scholarship. I have a degree in chemical engineering. So I had a job. I was fine. I was in corporate America. Honestly, I've made way more money than I have as a DJ than I would have ever made in corporate America and way better experiences. But many times I wanted to quit because this is not an easy road that we take.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, I've I've felt like I was failing, that everything was just bad. I wasn't making enough money. I wasn't getting enough gigs. But, you know, Vin will probably say that he told me to stick with it and for sure. Like he would be like, no, nah, don't, you know, just keep, keep it moving, keep doing what you're doing. And yeah, I did that. So my next road, I don't know, like I, I've never made those type of plans. You know, people make these five-year plans. Yeah. I would love to do something where I'm a little more stable just because I, I have a child on the way. Yeah. Congrats so on I, that. Like you. any
0: Like February, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Nice. Just nice. a couple, couple months. And mm-hmm. I'm having a girl and I think especially for a young woman, a young girl, if the the pop isn't around. I know this because I've dated those women. <laughs> so I wanna be around as much as possible. So, you know, having a lifestyle where you're leaving all the time isn't optimal for that situation. So I'd love to have something a little more stable. I have found a passion in food and uh cooking and, you know, that type of thing. So I would love to kind of again transfer that brand into doing something like that, but I honestly don't know. You know, and I think
0: I, I, yeah, and I think you not knowing has kind of paid off. <laughs> but Livy, we go back to this, yeah. this whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. I think you just being Neil Armstrong and kind of having that mind that's open. You know, they say, uh, "What's it? A uh, opportunity it always favors the prepared mind." Yeah. So if you just kind of stay, say in your what you're doing. You never know. You might might, might be the actual next (laughs) Anthony Bourdain or or who knows. Like, again, if anybody should worry, you shouldn't worry. (laughs) Let those other
1: people (laughs) talk about. Yeah. Well, I definitely appreciate that, man. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. The thing is, you know, I've always loved certain aspects of DJing. But there's a lot of aspects I don't like. Hear that? I don't like that I have to play Despacito. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and actually, I don't hate the song, but it's, you, you yeah, know what I'm saying? It's a
0: bigger idea. Yeah. 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 I don't ha- why do I have to play this? Yeah, yeah that's a whole other thing. And, then, other and, and
1: again, that is another conversation that we could talk about forever. But I, I appreciate the reason why people do do that and find success in that. But I haven't had to operate like that um, for the most part as DJ Neil Armstrong. I'd say like about 80 or 90% of the gigs I get to do are the really cool ones. You know, like the Motown on Mondays and my stuff, my dinner and a mixtape stuff. And when Laffy Taffy came out, like, I didn't I didn't play that song once. Not, not that time. Like maybe I'll do it now because it's...
0: Throwback. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But
1: I never had to play that song. <laughs> uh-huh. So I've been really fortunate. You know, you have to do stuff you don't like. And of course, that's happened to me as well. But I'd love to stay involved in music somehow. But... It's difficult. And especially now, the current environment is so disconnected. You know, this this level of disconnect is always, it's always been around. When I was a, a younger DJ, let's say, I don't know, 2000, like I wasn't trying to play Lil Wayne songs, you know?
0: <laughs> Common, most definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that now, yeah. <laughs>
1: again, you know, on some throwback. But, you know, the disconnect between the stuff that's coming out now like the Uzi Verts and, and all that. And Lonzo Ball's, yeah, you know, diss yeah, and Nas, yeah. you know, like the music that's coming out now that's urban, that's hip hop is just it's not, so not, not disconnected. Not t- yeah. It's something else. Yeah. Different generation, different Yeah, factors. different generation, yes. It's ingested it's so, a totally different way now. Yes. And fortunately, you know, I've been able to evolve enough that I understand, you know, I'll never hate on the music. There's a lot of people from my era that just oh, dismiss yeah. it entirely with right. Yeah. I get it. I understand why these kids like it, but I don't want to be the purveyor of it anymore. Unless something happens and like all of a sudden 2000 becomes really popular. Yeah,
0: like there's more Chances, there's more Kendrick, <laughs> yeah. there's more Gold Link, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, more of that. Yeah. Anderson Then but yeah. in the meantime...
1: Mm. Yeah, I don't enjoy it as much. You know, very honestly, I don't enjoy it as much. I remember listening to like a do-over that Shortcut did it was for New Year's and that was when Turn Down for What came out, I guess, around wow. so what yeah. that was two years, years ago. Yeah, two, three two three years, three ago. years. God yeah. that's see, that's old school now, you know? Oh, my that's, God. Yeah. That's how fast yeah. stuff all moves. does off the MP three. But you know, like back in the day, Short wouldn't you know, he could play a James Brown set at do over. He could play like all roots reggae. Yeah, and that's I'm,
0: I did crane. I remember yeah, that. That's yeah, that's
1: totally that's what he should be doing.
0: Yeah. Now, but you
1: can't do that.
0: No, it, it's pretty urban. It's trapped out. Yeah, right. But, I
1: mean, that's it, hey, But it, again, that's the evolution of the music. That's who's coming out to the clubs. My friends who were going out to the do-over when I was doing it a lot, they don't go there anymore.
0: Yeah. You know? So you you gotta play for music for the for the people that do go there exactly. for them to stay a lot. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So. Absolutely. Well, the one party that has I think skirted a lot in New York anyway is the rub. For mm. example, Shout they they've that. been around for Forever and as far as I know, of course they do switch it up. Yeah, things change, but they still do what they do, which to me is amazing. And you know, I think some of the cooler part, like the the, uh, the Makosa party and
0: everyday people, yeah, yeah, you know, South, and that those are all. And It's funny how how do we know each other? And it, we were saying that earlier, but I always felt that if you are a like mind in whatever creative field you're in, you'll find a way somehow. You'll find your way to shore. Yeah. But it's musically or even if you're not an artist, just the same kind of motivation interest. Yeah. You know? So I think that's why we kind of ended up here and John, you know I me mean, Knowing John, our producer. So the last question, it's kind of like a, a takeaway question. All right. You know, when you walk on The Tonight Show... Is that one song you'd want the band or someone to play? To play
1: when they get on. What would be your.
0: I mean, does it be tonight show. You walk into court. The song you do to get get yourself hyped. What would be that track if you had to pick oh one? My God.
1: Dude, I don't know.
0: Not, not, not the Rolling Stones song you were, we were talking about earlier.
1: Nah, that's not hype. That, that's like when uh, the Seahawks came out to bittersweet symphony like everyone was like what are they doing uh, yeah <laughs> i mean i love the song but that's, that's not the one that come out to yeah and they, and they lost <laughs> <laughs>
0: they maybe, yeah, exactly. yeah, it maybe that's why
1: yeah exactly maybe that's why man that would be a tough one man I, i'd have to think about that all right you know and i i loved my time with with jay like you know it was such a short time and it was so long ago but <laughs> that's one of those things that just stick you mm-hmm. know i'll always have that little hook to that i don't know i would you know, I'd probably pick one of those, to be honest. For but, the,
0: the Jay-Z, Rock Boys era.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I got, like, hanging out with, with Bleak and those guys. That was actually one of the more interesting things that <laughs> happened. With uh, I'll, I'll tell this last one, I guess. Uh-huh. At the time, this is, you know, Twitter was still really young. I was blogging. I got a little extra money on the side to kind of do a, a music blog for a website that I don't think is around anymore. I forgot what it was called. I wrote this blog about, you know, before I was with Jay, I had already been DJing, what, like 15 years or something. I guess those guys would look at my stuff. They would read it. the so we yeah, blogging a, was
0: so tight back. Like, blogging was cool back then. Yeah. Like you could, yeah, I just remember that right now. But anyways, yeah. yeah. I,
1: it was me, Bleak, Jay. We were, we were on a private plane. We had just came from uh, Nigeria or something. <laughs> I wrote something about how... Uh, you know, I had been DJing for a long time, but all people basically recognize me now as like Jay Z's DJ. And I'm like, mm, you know, where have you been? I didn't, I didn't show up yesterday. I've been yeah. putting in work for Stripes. a long time.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, they're all um, John Manili, who is mentioned in his music. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Consigliere is John Manili. You know, yeah. So that guy. So they're all sitting there, and Bleak it was like, oh, I read what you wrote, something, and he was like. Basically, you know, he he said, he was like, oh, so you like people are kind of noticing you just because of Jay now, huh? (laughs) And not not those exact words, but that's the Mm -hmm. gist. And he was, and I was like, yeah, yeah. He was like, well, get used to it. And Jay, you know, (laughs) you know, he did his little laugh. (laughs) But, you know, Bleak was saying it half jokingly, half like serious. Like, yeah, you know, this is part of your deal now. Like you're always going to be connected to this time, you know, and it's a blessing and a curse, you know, just. It's good, but there'll always be that association now. Whether or not you like it or whether or not you want it, people will want it, mm. you know? So even tonight, I'm doing the whatchamacallit. Oh, Monday. Yeah. They mentioned, like, I'm Jay-Z's former oh, yeah. DJ. And, uh, and someone wrote, like, you know, he's a lot more than that. Yeah.
0: It's much more than that, <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah, he's very yeah. saucy, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, well, I appreciate that, I, you know, the, the comment and stuff. But I understand why they do that as well, because there is you know, it's hard to maintain relevance in what we do. And that's the easiest way to maintain relevance, like mention someone of that level. yeah, And yeah, the brand. So, but yeah, that will always stick to me. I I really appreciated Bleak for that because, you know, I think he's one of them casts that like people kind of sleep on. You know, I know him on a different level. Unfortunately, I think the curse side of being like Jay's little brother, you know, they call him, he always calls Jay the big homie. You know, that's one of the curses. Like, it's hard to, to shine when you have something, you know, like a sun that's so bright next to you. And I, I think that was one of the, the beauties of what A-Track did. You know, he was like, you know what, I, I want to shine. And he knew he had to stop doing that gig for Kanye. And, you know, it takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of foresight. It's faith. Yeah. Faith. A lot of faith. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens. You know, in five years, maybe I'll come back. But And and we can see where what I'm doing. I
0: think you'll be all right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think yeah. I think no matter what, you know, we'll all be all right. But I'm definitely at this. You you've caught me at an interesting crossroads. Like I still love aspects of what we do, but it's just you know, I used to DJ here in SF more than I did in New York.
0: Uh huh. I remember those years. There was a point. Yeah, yeah.
1: But like during the milk days, Mm -hmm. I might as well had a weekly. I was here so often. (laughs) Like every yeah, every 2 weeks I'd be here, you know? But it's not really like that out here anymore. Like not at all. Like I don't know how often do you guys get outside acts these days? Like the same thing like in Australia back in the day, they wanted artists from outside. But I know for a fact now like they don't care. <laughs> like Yeah. Uh, or uh, they wanted DJs from outside. Like, it doesn't really work that way anymore. I think technology has allowed DJs to kind of get really good internally. Like, the, mm-hmm. one of the kids who won, the, like, the New He's Zealand like kid. Like, the, Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think he really is 12 years old. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs>
1: what do you need the dude in New York for when you got the little kid right there killing it? Like, yeah. you don't need that. Sign
0: a waiver and bring him over. Yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. So... Yeah. It, it's an interesting time. I'll always love DJing. I'll always love music. Oh, just FYI, I've, I've played, which edit of yours did I play? And I forgot. I hit you up uh, about it. You play all the of them, man. <laughs> you, you no, the- but there was one in particular. Not a K Tornado one. There's a, damn it, man. But I've I played one of yours when I was in Hong Kong.
0: And did Jay-Z come over and say, what's that? <laughs> no, no, I, don't, oh, man, I don't get. I don't get. I don't get that treatment. Oh well,
1: damn. We'll figure it
0: out. It was? We'll figure it out. We'll, go through, a, we'll do a swap. I, I'll update you with a bunch of new stuff and, and whatnot.
1: Nice, dude.
0: Nice. All right, man. Well, anyways, Neil, thank you so much. I know we said forty-five minutes, but but <laughs> no, no, it's but been no, like two hours. No, no, but you kept dropping so many gems. And I think we could talk about even more stuff. I feel oh, like we just, I've, we can have yeah, a part two.
1: Nah, we could, man. We, <laughs> we, even, we could. barely talked
0: about the athlete stuff, the, the food <laughs> stuff, and everything else, man. But anyways, Neil, my <laughs> man, yep. thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. I'm going to see you tonight. Yep. This will air way after the fact, but All I'm right. sure you'll be
1: hopefully back. Oh, yeah, I'll be back before then for sure. Yeah, man.
0: Thank you so much for your time, <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. I am seriously impressed. I, I feel like I, I, I know a different person now. I'm <laughs> just blown away, man. <laughs>
1: That's always nice to hear.
0: Yeah, my my respect for you jumped, it doubled, it tripled, man. So, anyway, (laughs) thank you. Thank you very much, Neil Armstrong. Oh, anything you want to plug your social medias and websites? Oh,
1: this is something that you will appreciate. So, one thing I've never gotten to do is I've never put out a record. Okay, and I'm putting out oh shit a, a 45 for the first time in February. So yeah, if this comes out before then, I think it might be around then. So yeah, if this comes, So it'll be uh, I'm doing it with Destruct, you know. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah the homie. Yeah, shout to Destruct. And right. I,
1: I well, this will be coming out later, so it won't be a surprise. But um, it's uh, you know his label Raising Heads. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. One of the remixes off of Bittersweet was oh, the My Sherry Amore yeah, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. grinding. Uh-huh. So that one, and I did a remix with The Weeknd, and I feel it coming with Human Nature. Like oh, nice. Like Michael Jackson be nice, nice. underneath it. So that's coming out for Valentine's Day. So Oh,
0: man. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully y'all get that. And they could find you on Instagram. What is oh, it?
1: Yeah, see, DJ Neil Armstrong. Just oh, look every, me Every up, platform. Every, yeah, everywhere. Is your
0: old blog still up? We can... Uh, <laughs> maybe the, no, the man. way back you know time what that
1: freaking su- I don't think so
0: alright
1: but so one of the blogs was on Hype East and that one's gone so that, I mean that one's gone for sure which really sucked because well, there a was a lot of cool stuff
0: yeah. do a throwback Thursday post or
1: something <laughs> <laughs> I mean I don't I don't have them anymore though I don't even have the pictures but one one day so I have all this video footage of when I was with Jay that oh. I've never released and one day I'll go through it and like show you guys what it was like Please do. For sure I will. All
0: right, man. Thank you so much. I'll see you later tonight. But yeah, we'll wrap this up, man. Word up. Thank you, Neil. Yeah, Neil Armstrong, the man. (laughs)